Good morning. I'm going to be continuing our series called Marathon, and we're looking at all the decades that we live in life and how God has kind of designed those to be one big marathon. And in each decade, there are certain things that we need to focus on and work on in faith. And as we do, we stack these legs, you could say, of the race on top of one another. And uh, Lord willing, when you get into the last several decades of your life, you look back and there's much to be grateful for, joyful. It's a great story. It's exciting. And, uh, and so we want to look at this because God has given us a lot of wisdom in the scriptures for how to build the best life. And this uh, message is called the starting line. Now, the starting line is, uh, is the third decade of your life. So it's not the first decade, which is 0 to 10, or the 11 to 20, that's the second decade, but it's really 20 to 30. That's when you really get started. You're out of the house, you've launched, uh, Lord willing, you're, you're starting your adult life, you're establishing your roots, you're, you're running the marathon. But before that, there's several things that have to be done. In the first decade, you have to learn how to run both literally for kids and metaphorically. In the second decade, you're suiting up. That's what you're doing so that you can get to the starting line healthy and strong. If you don't handle the first two decades well, then you get to the starting line uh, injured and you stumble out of the blocks. And so what we want to do in the next several messages in our series is really give you an overview of what the Bible teaches for each of these decades and what to focus on. Now, when it comes to the first two decades of life, we're talking about children that are in your home. And so much of this has to do with parenting and parents and the way you parent and the outcome and how well your kids are doing. Well, that's a big part of how much joy and satisfaction that we have in life, especially as we get older. The truth is nothing will impact your future happiness as much as the wisdom or the foolishness of your children. If your kids are foolish and they have trouble in their lives, and there's pain for you. Proverbs says, to have a fool for a son brings grief. There is no joy for the father of a fool. It says in Proverbs, the rod of reproof gives wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Shame to his mother, uh, grief to his father. This is not something you want. And so parenting in these first two decades is crucial. The Bible says, you should train up your children in the way that they should go. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. And oftentimes we read that and think, oh, good. So I train him and he's going to be great. But actually, it's, it's, it's not that specific. It's actually a, an interesting proverb. It's a double-edged sword. For example, if you train up your child to worship themselves, to fear man, to be ruled by their passion, it's going to be impossible for them to break that. Now, Christ can break it. But in their natural selves, as they get older and older, those things are going to stick. But on the other hand, if you train your children to fear God, to be loyal to him and to their family, to their church, to their community, to do and think and, and uh, handle all of life Christianly, they're going to prosper. And so really the question isn't whether they're going to be trained. Of course, they're going to be trained. Everyone receives a training or what the Bible calls discipleship. The question isn't whether they're going to be trained. The question is who is going to train them and how they're going to be trained. And you want to make sure that that training, that education, is a Christian education. This is the responsibility of every household. Training of children is the responsibility of every household. It's not your neighbor's responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. It is certainly not the state's responsibility to educate and train your children. This is a responsibility that God has given to fathers. Mom, dad, you are the authorities. It says in Ephesians 6, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
As fathers, we are given the responsibility to ensure an outcome. And the outcome we are to ensure, as much as we can, in faith, is to see that our kids are trained up Christianly, that the culture that is inside of them, that gets poured into them over the first two decades of life, is a Christian culture. They see as God sees. They love what God loves. They do what God wants. They think biblically. They understand the world from a biblical vocabulary. They love people. Their their affections are ordered properly. They know how to handle people and circumstances. They know how to deal with the spiritual reality that we're all in. They've been trained up to be Christians. Now, throughout the Bible, you have good examples of this and bad examples of this. Some of them suffer that pain that we read in Proverbs, and some of them are, uh, they die old and happy, like Jacob. Jacob, he died an old, happy man. His son Joseph, he thought was dead, was actually being put through a series of trials by the Lord. And somehow Joseph was raised to really know and fear God, and he had real wisdom. He, he, he really learned to walk in faith. And so he started in a prison, and he ended up a prime minister. And he was a teenager, and yet he responded to circumstances very, very well. And his father and him were reunited, and his father died at a ripe old age, um, very happy. And there are other people in the Bible that didn't work out for. For example, Eli was the man who raised Samuel the prophet. And Eli was a priest of the Lord. He ran the temple, and he or the, the tabernacle at Shiloh, and he had some wicked sons that he never held accountable. He didn't train his boys. He just let them run wild. And they were evil men, and God took their lives. And uh, Samuel, who became the, the leader of Israel before the kings, he also didn't train his kids. He didn't hold them accountable. And uh, his two sons, when he got old, the, the people of Israel came to him and said, Look, Samuel, we like you, but your sons are nuts, and we don't want them to be our leaders. So we want a king. And that was it. Uh, his family was no longer in leadership in Israel. Then you have the kings. You have people like David, who is an amazing king. He was a man after God's own heart. And yet his sons were just a mess. He didn't train his kids well. You know, he had a son named Amnon who raped his sister, Tamar. And then Tamar's brother, Absalom. Absalom and Tamar had a different wife than Amnon, but they had the same dad, which was David. Absalom, the half-brother of Amnon, he looked at Amnon. and He said, I'm going to kill this guy. So he waited two years and he murdered him. And after he murdered his brother Amnon, he decided he was going to be the king. And so he started a civil war to steal the crown from David. And then after that, there was another king or another son of David named Adonijah. And he tried to steal the crown from Solomon, who was another king of David. Solomon killed Adonijah. And Solomon, uh, he was a good king for a while, but then he started worshiping idols. So David had uh, in himself a real faith and a walk with the Lord, but there were, there were some real shortcomings in his parenting. And so in the Bible, you see uh, story after story of people who have done it well and not done it well. And we want to, in faith, parent our kids to really know and love the Lord. Now, this is important to point out because training and discipleship and education, they're all connected. And so for me as a father, if I entrust my children's education and their training to someone else, like a school, whether it's a private school or a charter school or a public school or tutors, if I entrust their education to someone else, then I must ensure that they are learning to think and act in all things Christianly, that means every subject matter must start and end with God. Kids need to learn how every subject is tied into the knowledge of God, how God is relevant for all of life. But unfortunately, in most of our secular schools, in all of our secular schools, God is forsaken. You can't teach about Christ. You can't talk about him. You have a science class that's learning about gravity. Gravity is something that the Lord Jesus Christ holds together by the power of his will. And yet you can't speak about the person who's making sure things are falling. Right? You can't talk about God in history, even though he wrote the story that we're all living out. You can't talk about God in art. 
even though he is the very definition of what is beautiful and good and right and true. Right? You can't talk about God in language. God created the languages. He confounded the languages. Language is something that he himself has and does and is a, a characteristic that we have because God has it. What we do is we cut God out. It's a godless education. And so what we teach our kids is, it's not that God doesn't exist, it's that he's irrelevant for everything worth knowing. And when kids are placed into the hands of tutors, whether it's the state or someone else, for eight hours a day, five days a week, for 185 days a year, from the time they're kindergartners all the way to 12th grade, and they've learned constantly to see all of life in a secular, godless way, meaning God is not relevant, that is not a Christian education. It's not. And so what we have to do is we have to be honest about what it means to be responsible as parents. Now, in your handout, you'll notice that there are two decades that I go over pretty briefly, which are advantages and dangers of each decade. So for every decade in the marathon of life, there are advantages that you can take advantage of, and there are dangers you have to watch out for. And I've listed them out for the first two decades of life. In the interest of time, I'm not going to go through those, but I'd like you to take a look at them at your own uh, convenience. And if there's something you'd like to talk more about or something you're interested more about, then just email me or we can talk about it. What I would like to focus on first is the duties that we have as parents and the duties we have as kids. So what are our duties as parents? We find this in uh, several places in the scripture. We read the passage in Ephesians 6. That's a big one. But also in Deuteronomy 6. This is a big passage which lays out for us the duties as parents we have. So I'll read it to you. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, you'll notice several things here. One of the things it says is we are to diligently teach these things to our children and talk about them. So we're formally teaching God's word. We're teaching the scriptures. We're reading the Bible. We're reading the stories. We're reading the Proverbs. We're reading the prophets. We're reading the New Testament. And we're teaching what it means and what it says. And you just do your best. If you're a brand new Christian, you're 35, you just came to Christ, you just started to read your Bible, you have a 10-year-old and a 16-year-old and a 2-year-old, you're thinking, well, I mean... I don't know the Bible. You, you read it. You just you open it up. You read it like a newspaper. You take it at face value. You read it together, and then you talk about it. What does this mean? What do you think this means? Here's what I think. And if you have questions, you ask. You ask your pastors. You ask leaders. And over time, what you're teaching your children is they can read the Bible too. Uh, they can be honest with it as well. The Bible can handle questions. It's not going to be broken by them. And so what they're learning from you is real faith. It's like, wow, this is my father, my mother. They take this seriously. This is important to them. I enjoy talking to them about it, and uh, I want to do it more. So you <clears throat> are formally teaching, and then after you've taught and you're teaching and you're teaching, there's an atmosphere of teaching, instruction. <clears throat> there's also talking, that is applying it, saying, remember what we talked about this morning? Here's an example of it. Or what you're going through right now, what do you think God is trying to teach you based on what we looked at earlier? Remember when we read that verse, which is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding? You're kind of frustrated. Like, you don't understand this thing. What do you think we should do? The second part of the verse says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. How do you think we could acknowledge God right now where you don't understand what you need to do? Well, we could pray. Yeah, what should we pray? God, I don't understand. Okay, what should we ask? Well, help me understand. Yeah. And then you pray and you ask God. 
to give understanding. And you're teaching your kids how to apply what you've been learning as you've been instructing them. This is just a fundamental application of this passage. Now, I've outlined uh, four specific duties that we have that you can find in this passage. So in verse four, it says, love the Lord with everything you have. Okay, if you don't, they won't. Or at least your kids will have to learn to love the Lord from someone else. If we have children, they're going to follow our example. If we want them to love the Lord, we should love the Lord. We should show them how to do it. Number two, or B, in verse six, it says to listen and obey the Lord in everything. So we first love the Lord. We first listen to the Lord. We first obey the Lord, showing our children how. So we show them before we tell them. And we explain by our example. Now, what it means to listen and obey the Lord means that his word is in your heart. And if it's in your heart, it's coming out your fingertips. If God's word gets into your heart from your mind, from your ears to your mind to your heart, then you're actually living it out because the heart is at the center of your existence. The heart is like the headwaters of a mighty river. And if you're way downstream playing in the river and you were to walk up into the mountains to the very headwaters and you were to poison the water up there, it would run all the way down out. In the same way, if you put something in the heart of a person, it's going to come out in everything they say and do. And so we want to get his word into our hearts. And the way you do that is you act upon it in faith. You put it into practice. The next thing is you have to love your children. Your duty as parents is to love them. And if you do not love your kids, if your kids don't think you like them, if you despise them or neglect them or hate them, right? If you're if you defraud them or treat, treat them unjustly, unlovingly, over time, they're not going to identify with you. They're going to reject you. And they're going to reject your God as well. Why would I serve a God that my parents serve when my parents don't love me, when my parents don't like me, when my parents are always, right? So we, we have to love our kids and like our kids, and they have to know that we love them and like them. Because it's the kindness of the Lord that opens our heart, our heart to him. It's his mercy and love and grace. It's his warmth and care that draws us to him despite our sin. And it's our assurance that he loves us that allows us to look him in the face even when he's giving us correction. Because we never see punishment in his eyes, only loving discipline. We never see forsaken in his eyes, only I love you and I want to help you. And so that love is crucial for drawing our children's hearts towards us and to teach them to turn their hearts to the Lord. So we love the Lord with everything we have. We listen to the Lord we love. We love our children. And the fourth duty, this is crucial, all those things are preliminary, we must diligently teach our children to love, listen to, and obey the Lord. If you love the Lord, you obey him, and you diligently teach this to your children, they are going to learn to follow him and live a godly life. Not every child who grows up in a loving, godly Christian home stays with the Lord and walks with him. But most do. The normal means by which God expands the kingdom in a, through a household and builds the next, genera- next righteous generation is through diligent, faithful parenting. And that's what we want to do. Now, a key strategy to do this is to role play with kids. So, for example, you want uh, to think through scenarios where your children will be tempted to give into selfishness or arrogance or violence, which are all native to our hearts. And you want to practice what faithful obedience looks like with your kids. So when mommy calls you, 
Quickly give me your full attention and listen. Now this pleases God. When God calls me to attention, Mommy says, I must quickly give God my attention and listen to him. So let's play a game. Go hide in the house, anywhere you want, and I will call you, and then you come quickly and stand at attention and say, yes, Mommy, and they practice it over and over and over again. And then you practice in situations where they're doing something fun, like they're playing video games or they're playing with their toys or they're talking with a friend. And you call them and you say, now come right away. And they do. And you're coaching them how to walk in obedient faith with you. And as you do this, as you teach them to do this with you, you teach them how to read the Bible. Uh, you teach them how to do all sorts of things. Now, <clears throat> Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Part of the instruction we're to give our, our kids to diligently teach them, it is to be formal. That's what it means when it says you sit down right in your house. It's like sitting at the table and everybody's learning around the table, right? Think of it like a homeschooling situation. Okay. And then when you're <clears throat> walking along the way, right, you're driving your car and you're, you're talking about how things are going. You're asking your kid questions. You're finding out where they're at, what's going on in their life. You're asking them what God is teaching them. You're, you're sharing your experience. You're giving the biblical perspective. And when you lie down at night, when you get up in the morning, you're talking about God's word and how it applies. At the beginning of the day, you know, you sit down for breakfast. You, you read the Bible together. You pray. You tell the kids um, you know, that you're, you love them. You're proud of them. You're looking forward to hearing how hard they work today. Help them to remember that what they're doing today matters. Talk about your day. right? At nighttime, the kids are going to bed. It's a great time to lie down because uh, kids don't want to go to sleep. So they'll stall. They love to stall. So it's a great opportunity as a captive audience to sit down and talk to them. Like, you know, how was their day? What happened? How's their heart? Do they have any um, frustration with their mom, with their dad, with their siblings? Anything they're afraid of, anything you pray for? What we do is we have this book, which is um, all the stories in the Bible, and each of them are a one-page summary. So it's not very long, but it covers the story. And uh, it's great. We sit down. I just read the next one each night or whenever I, whenever I do it. I don't do it every night. And we read it together. It's always very interesting to the kids, and we like it. We snuggle. <clears throat> we talk about it just a little bit. We, we pray that God would do in us the things that we see in the story or protect us from the things we see in the story. I talk a little bit more, put the kids to bed. And over time, as they live in this household where we're trying to walk in faith and obedience to God, and they're seeing examples from their mom and their dad and their grandmas and grandpas, and they're, they're learning what it means to walk in faith, this is how you train them up. Now, what about the kids? What are their duties? Uh, children have duties as well, and so you find this in Proverbs. So in Proverbs it says, Hear my son. This is a this is a father to his son, but this is really for all followers of Christ. Hear my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and a pendant for your neck. So there are two primary things here that is your duty as a child in a household. And uh, if you want to be successful in the first two decades of your life, if you want to get to the starting line in good shape and ready to run, and first of all, listen and obey your parents' instructions. We obey all the way, right away, in a cheerful way. This is what the Bible means by obey. It means right away, all the way, in a cheerful way. And as parents, one of the fundamental rules in our homes, it needs to be no disobedience. Right? No disobedience of any kind. It doesn't have to be a law for everything. It doesn't have to be rule upon rule upon rule. It just needs to be no disobedience. So if the kids are jumping up and down on the, on the couch, you need to make a rule. There's no jumping up and down on the couch because it's just going to be like a bureaucratic nightmare. Instead, what you do is you simply say, hey, could you please get down from the couch? I don't want it to break. Thank you. I don't want you to jump on the couch anymore today, okay? Or let's not do that. Quick obedience. 
all the way right away cheerfully. Okay, mom, no problem, right? And so this is a fundamental way that kids, uh, they demonstrate faith. And this, is, this is what God calls them to do. This is their expression of faith, to obey their parents. Now, in so doing this, they're also training themselves to walk in faith with the Father. So as God directs them as adults through the scriptures, through the word of God being preached, through wise counsel, through their pastors, through those who are in authority in their lives, if they are quick to obey all the way, right away, in a cheerful way, uh, it's going to bless them. God is going to bless them. Number two is they should not forsake the teaching, the teaching of their mother or their father. So forsake here is a word that has kind of three word pictures that represent it. So first of all, forsake means to uncultivate, uncultivated. It's like a field that hasn't been grown or a plant that hasn't been cared for. The second one is throw down. That means like just throw it away. It's worthless. And the third one is overrun. This is the idea of like a vineyard or a, or a backyard that's just full of weeds and it's just been overrun with weeds and bugs. Now, if we forsake the teaching of our mothers and fathers, those three things, that's what we're doing. So, so if you're watching this and you're young, this is what God would have you do. He'd have you obey your parents and not forsake their teaching. Forsaking their teaching is like this. This is why it doesn't make any sense. Imagine your parents told you that they had some seeds. And if you planted these seeds in the ground, it would grow a tree that would have fruit that was the most beautiful and sweet fruit in the world. And if you ate it, you would live forever, happily, and have the most abundant life. And the parents, they gave you these seeds. And rather than planting them in the soil and caring for the plant and seeing it grow to a tree, you took them and you threw them away. Or you planted them and then you never came back and took care of them. Or you took them and you put them in the drawer, but you didn't ever actually plant them. See, when you throw the seeds away, that's totally rejecting your parents' teaching. That's forsaking it, saying, I don't need to listen to that. And when you put it in the drawer, that's listening to what they're saying, but you're not putting it to practice, you're not doing it. And if you do what your parents are teaching you to do, but you stop or you quit or you get angry or you do it halfway, not all the way, that's like planting the seeds in the ground, but never cultivating the soil, never taking care of it, never watering it. You're never going to get that tree. And God has made incredible promises to you as children. That if you'll obey your parents in faith, in the Lord, right? As an act of faith to God, you obey your parents. God will grow you, make you mature, grow fruit in your life, make you ready for the race of life. You'll have the best life and your life will be eternal. God will give you eternal life. And so this is a promise from God. Don't forsake your parents teaching and obey right away. Now, if you're a teenager, I want to encourage you to aggressively seek wisdom, from your, from your parents and from those around you because you're facing situations, forks in your life that you've never had to face. You have more freedom. It's like, do I go this way or do I go that way? Get advice. Because if you don't get wisdom, if you don't get wise counsel based on the scriptures from people, you're going to drift into folly and you're going to drift into damage. So having looked at the duties of fathers and mothers and kids, you may feel like, oh man, this is, this is a lot. How do I do this? And I want to warn you of kind of two typical responses to the laws of God or the commands of God or the duties that God places upon us as his children. We kind of fall into two ditches. So one ditch is to think, you know what, it's not that complicated. You know, you just, you love your kids. You know, they're going to have to explore life. They're going to have to figure things out. You know, I don't need to be like on top of them all the time trying to teach them. Right? It's kind of a cavalier, uh, free-range parenting. It's not that complicated. Let's just let the kids do what they want to do. Now, when we have that approach, that's not faith. Because what God said is faithful parenting, parenting in faith always means diligence, diligently applying the word of God. And God is very specific about what he wants parents to do with kids. 
And so if we say, ah, I don't need to worry about those commands from God about parenting, I'll just figure it out. That's not faith. That's a ditch. That's presumption. You're presuming that it's all going to work out because God is so good and he's just going to take care of it. But he hasn't promised that. And on the other side, you have people who feel like, oh, no, oh, no, my kids, i got to diligently teach them. So we got to put a Bible on their pillow and put a Bible in their lunchbox. we got to read the Bible every day for four hours. And what are we going to do? And they messed up. And you think it's all about your effort and work. you got to be perfect. And you start grinding the family down because you become something like a spiritual ayatollah. got to make sure everybody's doing the right thing. That's not faith. That's trying to earn it. That's you thinking that your best effort is what is uh, required in order for you to get the outcome, almost like it's a slot machine. And that if you don't do everything perfectly, well, God's got a loophole somewhere in the Bible to not bless you, not take care of your kids, not see your family through to the future. And that's not true either. That isn't faith, and this isn't faith. Faith is saying, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best, but I'm not going to trust my best. I'm going to do my best because I'm grateful, and I love God, and he's my father, and I want to please him. And I can see in his word what he's called me to do as a parent. I give my best. And I'm going to do it in faith because God says, do this. Trust me. I'm going to take care of it all. So here I am plugging away like a hobbit, just working on my field, working with my kids, just doing the thing, right? Doing my best, trusting that God is going to do what he says, which is mature and grow fruit and prepare our kids for the race. And we have freedom. And if you're young and you have the same issue, but you're a kid, you're thinking like, I got to be a perfect kid or, oh, it doesn't really matter what I do. It's all going to be fine. Both of those are traps. Both of those are ditches. You want to be faithful in your obedience to the Lord and his word and the parents. And you do it in faith. If you mess up, if you make a mistake, if you're not the parent you should be, just confess your sins. Because Jesus Christ is the perfect man. He was the parent you should be. He was the kid you should be. He lived the perfect righteous life before God. When God looks at Christ, he sees the perfect man who has completely obeyed the Father and fulfilled the requirements that God has placed upon all mankind. And we are in Christ. And as we're in Christ, when God looks at us, he doesn't say, oh, look at all these problems you have. I, I'm not going to bless you. No, no, no. He sees the perfection and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And all the promises that God has made to those who will faithfully obey him. Their whole life, these promises, amazing promises in the scriptures, Jesus gets them all. He gets them all. But because we're in him, because we become the bride of Christ, because we're a part of him, we get those promises. Because he owns them, we get to share in custody with him. He now gives those to us. How do we receive the promises of God, the blessings of God, the grace of God, all the good things of God? We receive it by faith. It's by faith. And my faith in what God says. And so I do my best because God told me to do my best. But I don't think that that's somehow what's going to get me the blessing. It's God who gives me the blessing because he wants to give me the blessing. And he's removed my sin because of what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus' death removed my sin. So I just confess. Father, I blew it today. I got angry. I was a bad dad. Please forgive me. I don't want to do this. Help me just to clear it up with my kids and to um, be patient and to finish the night off well, loving them, giving them attention, and just being a good example. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's it. I forget it. I forget the past. And I go out there and I clear it up with my kids and I just get right back into the game. But, but, but what about that past sin? Doesn't that mean you're going to lose out on this? No, no, no. Because my good father intends to bless me and I receive it through faith. And I exercise my faith through my work. But it's not my, my work that earns it. But my effort is a part of it. I I exert effort in faith. I don't earn it. And that's a really critical thing to understand. That's how you stay out of these two digits. Okay? So now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to finish by looking at a couple marathon musts. These are things that you need, outcomes that you need to focus on as you're parenting your kids. Now, there's a list 
for the first decade. There's a list for the second decade, and I can't go through all of it, and I would love to talk more about it with you. And if you would like to, I'd encourage you to look through the list and just circle one that you feel like this is what I need to be working on with my kids, or this is what I need to be working on in myself. And if you're thinking, how do I do work and words God's way? How do I do relationships God's way? How would I teach my kids to be truthful? How can I do that well? Send me an email. Give me a call. Talk to me after the service. Talk to Pastor Randy, Pastor Thad. Uh, talk to a group leader or someone who has real wisdom who's older, raised kids at Church in the Valley. Get advice to apply. But what these are, these are outcomes we're shooting for, destinations we're trying to get to. They're not the means by which we get there. That would take more time. And I can't get into all the means uh, in this message. But here are some outcomes. And I want to focus on one from each decade. So for the first decade, a marathon must that you really need to focus on is controlling your emotions and your thoughts. you got to teach kids to do this. Now, an example of this would be anger. Anger is a natural response of your will being crossed. If you read the book of James, it says, why do you get angry? Why do you fight? Because you, you, you don't, you want, you desire, but you don't have what you desire. So you want something, it gets blocked, and then you get angry. This is what angry is. So you teach your kids to understand anger and name it anger, And think of it biblically. James explains what it is. I believe it's James 4. So what is anger? Anger is when your will is crossed. Is anger always wrong? No, it's not. It's a natural fire that gives you the power to overcome opposition towards your goal. So if you're in a battle and someone's fighting against you and you're defending your family, anger is good. If you're trying to turn like a, a, a bolt with a, with a wrench and it's just really, and that anger gives you fire to break the bolt. That's a good thing. But anger quickly, quickly turns into sin because what's being crossed is not some good thing that I'm protecting. It's just what I want. And kids, they're very selfish. It's bound in their hearts. They can be very arrogant and demanded as if it's theirs by right. They can be very violent, hitting people when they don't get what they want. And so you want to teach your children to control their emotions and control their thoughts. And so the first thing you do is you teach them to call things what they are. So that's anger. You got angry and you sin in your anger. And then you say to your kids, instead of getting angry and hitting or yelling or demanding or grabbing, what you need to do is ask. You need to simply say, can I have my toy back, please? Would you please stop doing this? Now, I know that's going to be hard, but God will give you the self-control to do it. So let's practice it. I'm going to have your toy. I'm going to be playing with your toy. I'm going to be having so much fun with your toy and making fun of you because I have your toy. And you're going to get really angry. And you're going to come up and you're going to say, can I please have my toy back? And you're going to say it with uh, a warm voice. You're not going to get angry. Can I have my toy back? But you're going to say, can I please have my toy back with self-control? It's practice. Can I please have my toy back? No, I was a little bit condescending. And you practice and practice and practice until the kid says, can I please have my toy back? And then you say, no. And you, you take it to the next level. Well, then what do I do? What do you do? You say, you try. What do you do? Well, the Bible says, ask and it will be given to you. And that word ask means keep asking, keep asking. So if you ask once and you didn't get it, what should you do again? I should ask again. Good. Let's do it again. Second time. Third time. After the third time, they still haven't given it to you. Is that when you punch them in the face? No, you don't do that. But instead, you go appeal to an authority. Because God says that Jesus was on the cross, and instead of yelling back at the people who were cursing at him, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So when Jesus was being treated badly, did he retaliate? No. He entrusted himself to the Father, to his authority. When a child takes your toy... And you feel angry, how do you entrust yourself to the Lord? By submitting to the authority that God has given you. That's your parents. So you come see me, you say, he took my toy and he won't give it back. 
and then I will come and I will get the toy back for you, and then I will discipline the child if it's my own child after I investigate, right? Because in our family, you don't get to do that. You don't get to sin against each other that way. So what you just did was you taught your child what is called anger, the dynamics that cause it, your will has been blocked. You gave them a typical situation that they find themselves in, which is somebody took their toy. You teach them how to respond by role play. You practice, 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 and then you turn them off in the wild and see what happens. And then you reward them when they do it right. And you explain to them, God promises that if you ask him, and if you ask others, that that's how you actually get what you want. And there's a very powerful thing happens in asking. So that's an example of teaching your kids how to control their emotions and thoughts. You name it biblically, you explain it biblically, you train them to respond to it biblically, you practice it, and then you turn them off into your house, into their little world at 10, and you coach them. And then as they choose faith, as they choose to respond in faith, you pray for them and you reward them and you say, that pleases the Lord. And over time, you, as they get older, you help them understand how this approach is so much better than the alternative. And as they get older and they see people fighting and killing each other, beating each other in the streets because of their anger, you say, you see there, that's what happens when people don't trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And they've given anger, just total control, and it's grown this bitter fruit. And look at the violence. And do you want to, that's why we trained you to walk in the ways of the Lord. That's how do you control anger? And you ask your 16-year-old, how do you control anger? And you just keep working on the emotions and the thoughts. And every kid is different. They have different thoughts and emotional patterns that you have to coach them in. But it's always based on the scriptures. Okay? That's an example of one area that you've got to help them conquer, according to the Lord. Number two is the second decade. In this decade, an area I want to focus on is commitment. There are several areas. There are several outcomes you want to get your kids to. Even this list is not the whole list. There's more in the Bible. But here's one, commitments. Now, first of all, after being trained from you know, zero to ten to know what the Word of God says, to understand it, to prefer it, to take some first steps in applying God's Word in faith, kind of learning the ropes of how to walk in faith at their age and stage, now they shift into this freedom mode in their teenage years where they have more freedom, they have more responsibility, and now they've got to decide whether they're really going to do it. And in this situation, they need to hold fast to what they've learned. They were taught not to give in to anger, but now they're at work and they got a customer screaming in their face and cussing them out. What do they do then? And what you want to teach your kids, and if you're here as a teenager, what you want to remember is to hold fast to the truth. Do not forsake the teaching that you received, the biblical teaching you received from your parents. Do not forsake what God's word says because of the pressure from the culture to get you to give into your selfishness, your arrogance, your pride, your violence. Don't give into it, but ask God for the grace in prayer to continue to choose righteous ways. And that's commitment. So you're teaching, you're coaching, you're encouraging young people to endure and hold fast to what they've learned. Number two, commitment is also about saying yes and sticking with it. Men and women who say yes should do what they say, even if it hurts them. That is a way, that is a promise. If you, in faith, do what you said you would do, even if it hurts you, God will reward you. He will bless you. He'll give you honor. He'll lift you up. If you want the honor and the blessing of the Lord, one of the ways you can get it is to do what you say you'll do. So Jesus says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Now, when you're young, you don't want to say yes because, well, there's just so many options. 
and you can miss out. I mean, if I say yes to you now on Tuesday, what if there's a really good party on Friday and I said yes to your lame party on Tuesday and then Friday this amazing party's happening and everybody's on TikTok and everybody's on Instagram, they're having this great time and I'm over here with you because I said yes on Tuesday when I could have said, I don't know, we'll just see. And then Friday I could have gone to that party. See, I, I missed out. That is such a disloyal way, way to think. In other words, you, I don't owe you any kind of love, loyalty, commitment, clarity, plain speech. I mean, I just... I'm all about what I want to do. And that's a temptation that we all suffer with. And when you're young and you start moving into the world of freedom and choices, it is so common for young people not to give a straight answer. Will you be there? Will you do this? We'll see. I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure. A lot of that. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else is from the evil one. Speak plainly. If you don't want to go on Tuesday, say, listen, honestly, I don't want to say yes because I think there's going to be a party on Friday and I'd really like to go. Now, if you don't want to say that because that sounds really like, you know, that doesn't sound good, then that's probably, you know, you shouldn't say it because it's not good. Don't do it. Or you could say, you know what, um, I'm not interested in coming over on Tuesday. Actually, I have something else I want to do, um, but I, I really do uh, like hanging out with you. I'd like to hang out another time. Would that be all right? So it's just a clear no and it's a clear yes. If your parents ask you where you were, you give them a forthright answer. If you say that you're going to get up at six and uh, mow the lawn, you get up at six and mow the lawn. And so this level of commitment of doing what you say, letting your yes be yes and your no be no, this is such a rare quality in the youth, but it's actually a key to making you a responsible, dependable, solid, I can count on you adult. And when adults are looking down at a sea of young people who cannot be counted on to show up at work on time, and cannot be counted on to do what they say, and cannot be counted on to give a straight answer, and here's a person who says, I will, and they do. <laughs> you rise. You rise fast. So don't give in to FOMO, but hold fast to your commitments that you've made and speak plainly and do what you say you're going to do. These are two areas that young people really need to focus on so that they can get started in the race well. Now, the good news is, is that God takes us where we are, not where we should be. He doesn't say, "Mm, you know, you grew up in a Christian home and now you're 18 and look how far back you are. I mean, gosh, you had all these opportunities. So you know what? I'm just going to leave you alone for a while, and I don't want to hear from you. That's not how God is. Whenever we turn to God in faith and repentance, whenever we come to God and say, God, I need help. Please help me. Show me what I need to do. God picks us up. He knows our frame. He's a loving father. He knows how weak we are. He knows our frailty, and he loves us, and he takes us where we are. And so we never have to worry about falling behind or I should be here. No, no, no. Just turn to the Lord and ask for help, and he will help you because he is a good and loving father. That's the promise that God has given us. In Christ. So now, I want to encourage you to take some next steps. First next step is, if you have not yet decided to have a relationship with this God, your creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the way. You acknowledge to God, I am a sinner. I know <laughs> I know that I don't live for you, that I don't do what you want. And I, I want to do what I want to do. And I, I, I live my life independently from you. And you're God. You have a claim on my life. And I, I want to have a relationship with you. I want your forgiveness. I want you... I want to be one of your kids. I want you to come into my life. I want you to give me your wisdom and power and grace. I want to live forever. I want to be free from all the things that bind me. I, I don't want guilt or shame. I, I want the salvation you're offering me. And the way you receive that is by accepting Christ Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in your place. You say, Father, I believe that when he died, that was for me. That when he died, my sin was removed. And that all the guilt and shame that separated me from you, that's gone now because he paid the price for it. I believe that actually happened. I put my faith in that person, in that event. I trust you when you said that's what it was. And now I come to you in faith because you say that I can now come to you and I can be your child. 
And I ask that you'd forgive me for my sins and you'd give me your spirit and you'd allow me to be born again into your family in Jesus' name. If you have never done that, do that now. If today you feel like the Lord is tapping on your heart saying, this is the truth, then walk in it. Don't wait. And if you decide, I am going to follow Christ today, I am going to pray this, I'm going to call upon the Lord, then please let us know on the connection card because we want to reach out to you and help you take your first steps in your new life as a Christian. Uh, Number two, if you are a Christian, I want to encourage you in faith to decide on an area that you need to work. I need to work on this area. You know, there's a big list on this handout. There's a lot of areas to work on. And I think this is an area that we need to work on with our kids. Or this is an area that I need to work on as an adult. Or this is an area that I need to work on as a kid. Or this is an area that I need to work on as a teenager. Write one down. Write it down. And then ask God to remind you of everything you know that he said and taught on that topic. And then ask God to show you one way you can do it right now. And then go do it in faith. And see the amazing adventure begin. And then finally, number three, in faith, I will ask so-and-so for advice. So if you're a teenager or you're a parent and you have an area that you're kind of stuck or you're not quite sure how to handle this dimension of life or parenting, then ask someone that you respect, that you see, that there's fruit in their life, that they have understanding from God's word about how to parent in this area or to face this fork in the road if you're a teenager. Ask them for advice. Ask for them to help you see how to do what God says. And you can trust God's promises that as you walk in faith, not by sight, but in faith, God will grow in your life the peaceful fruit of righteousness. He'll grow the fruit of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That he will grow uh, uh, wealth and honor in life. All the promises that God is pouring out into your lives as you receive them in faith. God will do this. This is our confidence as Christians. Will you pray for me? Pray with me and, and for me too. Father, we thank you for this word. We pray you apply it to our lives as we need. Help us to see where we can walk in faith more. And uh, we pray for blessing over our families and over our parents and over our kids. Please help us, Lord, as we struggle and strive together um, in faith with you to build the next righteous generation. We pray for our children that, God, you would strengthen and protect them, that you would guide them, that you would bless their lives and help them have great faith so that they can build your kingdom in their generation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.